right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Serious Angler Podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. We're back with the captain, Mr. Andy Full. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Egbert. What's going on, Andy? Oh, just another day on the big pond, and glad we don't have Boomer yelling at his wife tonight. And, uh, you know, caught a lot of smallmouth today. My hands hurt. It wasn't wavy for, like, the first time in... I don't know. It seems like a month and a half. So that was a good reprieve. What's up with you? It is. A, <laughs> I feel like it's, we say it all the time. Like, oh, damn, just a freaking another work day. Yeah. But uh, it's, uh, it's been a hectic couple of weeks here uh, in the, our household. So I was sick last week uh, and Land's got something new and didn't have, just doesn't have what I have, but she had to come home early from work today. Cause she was like, couldn't even really stand up. So it was, She's already asleep in bed, so it's uh, I'm sleeping back on the couch. I was couch duty last week because I was sick, but now she's sick, so I'm back on couch duty. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, man, I yeah, I hope it's not like the crud going around that's real bad. My brother has COVID right now, and his wife just got over, it, and they got actually really sick this time from it. Hmm. And last time there was like a scratchy throat and a cough, like they both had like 102 fevers. They're not mm. doing so well, but feeling better. So hopefully it's not that, and hopefully you stay relatively healthy over there. It's a big couple months for you, so and a lot more traveling. Yeah, as of uh, yesterday, uh, two months out from uh, getting hitched. So we're gonna. It's gonna be a busy fall for us, especially because this weekend. Uh, one obviously last Bassmaster Elite event of the season, but on Sunday I'm driving up to Clayton. And uh, the X2 crew is going to be meeting to do some uh, some shooting. And we're going to do like a little in-person podcast sort of deal. So actually with that, next week, uh, next Tuesday, there will not be a Tuesday Night Live. We'll have a normal show Tuesday that I'm planning on filming Monday night. We'll have uh, a different, you know, a bunch of the crew on. They'll have like Hunter and Carl and those guys will have like a whole deal like pending the weather. We'll either do it inside the Airbnb or do it around the campfire, kind of like we did last last year in October with the crew. But uh, it's going to be a fun couple of days. So I'm trying to not be sick because I want to make that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be. It's been hectic as hell around here, and then we got some derbs coming up, some trips, and never ends. It never just when you think you're like, man, I can just make it through a couple months. We got the slow season, and then the slow season becomes busy. I'm sure you're going through that too with, you know, open water guiding coming to an end here shortly. And uh, then your steelhead stuff picks back up. Yeah. It's, um, I think I have like three days, maybe four days left in September and October total, like jam packed almost every day, except for Mondays. I don't guide on Mondays anymore. I stay home with the children, which is, actually a lot of fun i enjoy those days just sometimes it's hectic when one girl cries they both cry so it's um it's fun but yeah it's uh it's gonna be crazy the smallmouth are already starting to get really fat we caught one today that was like 17 and a half maybe 18 inches and it weighed four and three quarters because it was as round as it was long so they're eating it uh falls coming early and the fishing's about to be incredible so heck yeah yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're going back up to a, uh, you know, good old Smallmouth, Candyland, Disneyland, all the many glorious names that it has, and uh, I'll be pouring some Do It Molds finesse swim bait heads up there, hoping to get on that deal. Some football heads. Uh, obviously, we were there a couple weeks back, and it was phenomenal. So I'm um, hoping, you know, conditions wise, we're not going to get too much wind or anything next week, but. Uh, that's going to be fun. Uh, quick notes before we get our guest on Mr. John Garrett back on the show, who's sitting pretty right now, Bassmaster open standings. And, uh, we're talking about the season thus far a season that is remaining, uh, a lot to be learned from this guy. Cause he's consistent as all hell. Um, so, and he's another X2 guy. So we're gonna be walking through some, some bunch of stuff tonight. Um, but really fast for folks, if you did not set your fin- uh, fantasy fishing lineup, for St. Lawrence, it was a quick practice week. We had our show last night. If you need help with your picks, feel free to go back and browse that show. Uh, it actually was very entertaining. Uh, we let Boomer have it all show. It was actually very entertaining for us anyway. Uh, so if you want some picks and some laughs, go go check out that show. And then uh, last but not least, uh, if 
you guys, when we talked about X2, we're going to talk about X2 here when we bring John on. If you guys are looking to get any um, you know, discount or dollars off, if you need some lithium batteries or even some AGMs, we do have a discount code in our uh, show descriptions, whether you're on or YouTube. Take advantage of that because uh, you do not want to sacrifice whatsoever when it comes to power. Otherwise, uh, you'll be having issues. Uh, yeah, I can I can promise you the AGMs are legit. Um, twice this spring, I forgot to plug my boat in for like two days in a row, and I never had an issue being out there for 10, 11 hours at a time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, oopsies to me, but they held up. So, and that's yeah. running. Or if you're lazy like me and you want to just like not deal with it, and because I forget things in the morning, especially on practice mornings, the new lithium so the truth comes app. out why the batteries never work on the GoPro. <laughs> No, no, no. So kidding, that's, that's horrible batteries. That's not X2. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have a problem. But the, the new lithiums have the app. So I could be like, if I'm over 50%, then I'm like, ah, we'll charge it tomorrow. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> We're ready to rock. But Andy, I think without further ado, it's going to Yeah, we should probably get him on. He's sick of us talking. <laughs> we have Mr. John Garrett. What's going on, man? What's going on, Bailey, Andrew? Uh, glad to be back on. Actually, with Bailey this time. Me and Andrew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fishing. You know, off, off doing something fun while we're doing a podcast. So glad to be back on. Yeah, yeah. I'm. We we've joked about this. So we joked about it. Icast. Like it's. Uh, we've had John on twice already, but it's only been Andrew because I've either been out of town or doing. I don't even know. Freaking remember what it was. But oh, I can assure you, whatever I was doing, I much would have rather been talking here, talking fishing with <laughs> you. Uh, but dude, I'm glad to finally get on the show with you. It's good to get yeah. you on here because I know the folks always learn a lot when uh, you're a guest. So. I think first first things first, man. I, I know you're an X2 power guy. Uh, what's your setup? I, I keep it pretty simple. I've been running – I run five 31 AGMs. Um, I've been running 31 AGMs for a couple of years now. And my thing is if if it's not broke, don't fix it. So I run uh, – you know, I, I run two 31 AGMs parallel for my cranking and three for my 36-volt troll motor. Haven't had an issue. I, I don't have a, a worry. Turn the key, my motor starts, put my troll motor down. It runs all day. So um, I know the lithiums are great and they're lighter and everything, but I, I've i never had an issue with my 31 AGMs. So I'm just going to keep running what's been working for me. Yeah. Well, and you, yeah, I think when you talk to, at least in my experience, talking to a lot of guys, pro or not, you know, the guys that are at least, you know, care about their setup, invest the time and, and money into it. Uh, if they're X2 or not, they have an, they're an AGM, at least an AGM in their boat for their cranking. Yeah, for sure. It's just, I, I wouldn't say safer by any means, but it's kind of, you know, it, it holds steady for sure. Um, well, really, reliable. Yeah, very yeah. reliable. And I mean, with our boats today, most of them come standard with a charger that works for your AGMs. They're not blowing the price off like some lithiums on the market. <laughs> Um, they're a little cheaper and they work, man. They're, they're a little more simple as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, going through the opens, chasing your dream, fishing nine events when, you know, it's, you know, for the most part, let's say on the elites, you can kind of come back from, you know, a day where things break on the type of deal in the season. But for you guys, a, a day gone wrong is season spoiled. Yeah. One thing happens and, uh, your season's over. Now, that's one thing I'm not worried about is a, a battery issue. Like I said, I, I plug my battery charger in at night, unplug it when I leave in the morning, and that does, just doesn't cross my mind throughout the day. Like, man, I need to get back early or leave my motor running or not run my troll motor hard because my batteries, they, they've stood very steady for me for, you know, not only this year, but the following years as well. For sure. Yep. Heck, yeah. Well, dude – You've been having a hell of an open season so far. Yeah, I mean, it's I've been blessed this year, man. It's uh, everything is just uh, almost everything has gone completely my way this year. I've had two days this year where it was kind of a normal, just super tough day like I'm used to. Um, but everything else has been uh, I blast off in the morning and my my day just goes way smoother than what I deserve to happen, honestly. Um, I've been getting every tournament this year, I've got just a random, lucky, off-the-wall big fish. One day in my tournament, every day this year that's happened. So, um, 
Yeah, I'm not saying it's meant to happen this year, but things so far have gone just unexpectedly good. So, do, do you think that's so, is there any difference from other years uh, on the open? I know you've been so close numerous times. Yeah, but like is it a uh, mindset thing? You know, I, the past few years, I've really tried to do like I spend so much time doing off the wall stuff and off the wall areas because. 225 boats just kind of gets in everybody's head. Like, well, you got to do something different. This year I've just been getting literally launching my boat and the biggest, like I wouldn't say community hole areas, but the best well-known areas that the lake has fish in and just spending my practice in productive areas. And, you know, we have four and a half days of practice. So I'm literally just picking really good areas, just super apart, you know, just picking them over really thoroughly um finding anything i could pick one bite up on because you know as y'all know and we all deal with it now is everybody is so good technology is so advanced that everybody finds everything out and we all get five days on the water and come the first day and especially the second day of the tournament literally picking up one bite is huge so i've been just kind of focusing my practice around how can I get bites? Like, how can I for sure pick up five bites each day of the tournament? Now, do you have, like, a go-to technique to pick up, like, that extra bite? Or is it kind of just, like, junk fishing? Like, oh, this log looks good. Let me throw a jig in here. And this riprap looks good, so I'm going to run a plug type deal. Yeah, and I- I've done a lot of that, Andrew. But this is going to sound weird. It's, like, it's just going to sound a little girly almost. I feel like, I hate to admit it, but, like, Almost everything I've weighed in this year is coming on a drop shot. I saw uh, that coming. As soon as you said yeah. it's going to sound girly, I was like, he's yep. fishing a fairy wand. I love yep. it. <laughs> yep. the first, yeah, the, the first two tournaments, um, I caught them on a big crankbait. But other than that, I'm not – I'm going to say 75% of fish I've weighed in have come on a drop shot. And the only difference is when I've been largemouth fishing, it's got a – pink striking filler worm on it just your pink drop shot worm and when i went up north i literally put a brown worm on so that's all i did different on that um like i said the bites have been so hard to come by i'm like what is a fish going to bite for sure so if i see a fish i'm a forward facing or i know there's a fish sitting somewhere i want to throw something that i make sure he's going to bite like what is he going to have bite the best and i just feel like that he's more likely to bite a a little worm, you know, more so than something else. So I'm just like making sure that I'm going to try to get as many bites as I can through the day. So you're spending 95% of your time just looking for areas with productive fish versus worried about trying to throw something completely different, force a unique bite that no one else is doing. Yeah. I mean, really my goal going into each practice day is, or each tournament is to find a productive area. Because if I feel like if I find a productive area that's any concentration of fish, I'm looking for every stump, every stick, every lay down, you know, every little piece of rock in that area. Because a lot of times you get in a good area, there's a lot of fish around there. You just have to pick off individual ones. So I'm first of all, I'm trying to find that in practice, an area I could catch a limit on. And then as practice goes on, if I feel like, okay, I feel like I can get a decent limit, then I try to find something off the wall. Um, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't, you know, a, a place where I might be able to catch a couple big ones or just a technique to do that. Has there, has there been a day that at least that stands out to you, uh, for this season, any that you've had to make a big adjustment, something where you've had to completely switch gears? Yeah. Um, there's actually been a couple. Um, one of them was, a day that just did not turn my way. It was the, like the toughest day I've had on the water in a long time. And it was day two of my Lake Ufala Open in Oklahoma. And my day one, I had an offshore school on a rock pile. My day one was so easy. Like I, I rolled up, caught 19 pounds, and there was fish everywhere. And I just sat there and just kind of guarded the spot. And I was running there on the morning of day two. And I, like, got a chill. I was like, you know, and I, I was in second by just a couple ounces. I was like, man, I really think I have a chance to win this tournament today off that spot. Like, 
I've only thought I could win a tournament one other time. And I got there, my boat sat down, threw my trolling down, and it was a ghost town. Oh. And we had, had a bunch of storms and rains coming through, and the sun was supposed to pop out. And it was in an area, like, I had to go through a couple of no wakes, and it was just kind of out of the way to get there. And I didn't have much else in that area. And I stuck it out there until the sun came out just nearby. And the sun poked out. I went over there and caught two fish, two good ones. And the sun went back down. No fish showed back up. And I was left for like 30 minutes, you know, fishing time after that. I mean, that that was the day looking back on, like you said, I should have adjusted, but I went against my gut. But there's been a couple other times this year where I didn't fight my gut feeling where like, you know, day two at um, you fall Alabama, I was catching most of my fish on an offshore place, wasn't working out. I had to strap my rods in, went to the bank, swam a jig through some grass and caught a couple of good ones, you know, just something that I hadn't done all the practice during the tournament. Um, but yeah, there's been some days like that or some moments like that that put a couple of fish in my box and went a long ways. See those fish when you were running and they, that chill you had, they heard that and they said, they, Hey, there's 23 pounds of us here, but we're gone now because you, yeah. you felt that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That, that was what I felt them leaving. Not that yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, ghost fish. of your 23 pounds. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that is, that's easily the worst, especially because it was the first tournament of the year. That had to be yeah. like a gutting feeling like, ah, we're getting off to like this. But. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, there, like you said, I mean, there's, there was times most of my random big bites this year have been, I've ran my primary pattern, caught a decent limit. And then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to push this anymore. And I'll try something, you know, a little different, you know, I'll go throw a big swim bait around boat docks or, you know, go get in some muddy water, throw a spinner bait. And it ends up leading to one big bite that helps my, tournament standings out a whole lot at the end of the tournament right has that been kind of like your kind of your mindset your strategy going into the season like did it change any from previous years where you've been so close did you alter anything or is it more of this year you like you said earlier you're just landing those bigger bites that come to you that are just happenstance yeah it was a little both like something i touched on earlier was like this year i've been just really focusing on really good areas of the lake. Mm -hmm. Like when times passed, I'm trying to find a, you know, needle in a haystack kind of deal that a lot of times just does not exist. Um, so just keeping my boat and bait in super productive water for pretty much the whole tournament. Um, that's all I've been doing different. And plus those random good bites. Um, I think a lot of those good bites have been coming from me having a, a good start to the day. And that allows me just to fish so free, you know, give me three or four hours of the day where I'm not stressed. I'm not growing great hairs at the moment. You know, I'm not, I'm not gripping my, gritting my teeth. Um, just having a three or four hours of freedom, I guess, where I can run around and do random stuff um, has produced some better bites. So not a huge change, but just staying in productive water and having a little freedom at the end of the day makes a big difference to picking up some good bites. I'll say from a positive mindset, that's got to help tremendously. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and I was telling somebody the other day, like there's not many tournament days in the past where I can remember me being like, man, this is super enjoyable. This is super fun. I mean, y'all can agree with that too. You're like, Andrew, if you're guiding and you're not getting some bites or things aren't going your way, it's got that gut feeling. It's, you know, this not great. But this year, there's been so many days at 10 or 11 o'clock where I'm like, whew, you know. I'm not my day. Yeah, my day's not done, but I've kind of done my job so far. Yeah, uh, you know, that's happened at least one day of every tournament this year, and I, I just haven't had that many times in the past. Let me ask you this one, John. Now, when you've gone like basically free versing and trying to find a big bite, have you been able to like clue in anything additional for like the next day in the tournament or the third day in the tournament that you can like pattern up and be like, okay, now I know that this is a recurring thing. Maybe I can get five big bites or three big bites doing this later on in the derby when I get my limit in the boat. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, a good example of that is that um, you follow Alabama. That, we had two you follow tournaments. These are getting confusing, but you follow Alabama. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had a school of fish that was kind of off, like away from where I was fishing. And then on the first day, I had caught a nice swim at like 17 or 18 pounds. And I just went over there to check it. And I didn't have much time. I like literally ran all across the lake to go look at it. And I caught a good fish on that spot. And then it just hit me what those contours look like. So on my way back in the ramp, I was stopping and looking at places and found quite a few places for my second day. And then that second day ended up, and I, I had almost 28 pounds that second day, running that pattern that I kind of established after noon on day one as I would just kind of check that one spot and it just hit me. I don't know why it didn't hit me in practice, but it hit me right then, like you're talking about. And it ended up being how I caught all my fish on day two. Yeah, it sounds like you had the pieces to the puzzle. You just needed the reassurance to be like, got it. Yes, exactly. And, you know, a lot of times that you hear patterns, patterns, patterns. Um, and a lot, a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times the places that, you know, you see someone went off of or do really good, it's just super spot specific. And you could look for a place like that across the lake and it doesn't happen again. But like when a pattern is happening, you know, you would think once you do it, you could look at a map and pick out all these places you can. But like for me, a lot of times I'll pull up to a place and catch some fish and like, all right, that's a good spot. And it doesn't click with me that that's actually a pattern because I'm so mm -hmm. used to finding specific spots. A lot of times I rule it off. It, and it's a lot of things that go on for, for you to roll up on a place, it happened, and then you duplicate it to where I was like, oh, dang, this is going on across this entire area of the lake. Um, I prefer to have a pattern going on in this specific spot, but a lot of times it just doesn't work like that. Right. So, and so this, going back to – you had a interesting point where it's like, not wasting time in the opens trying to find the needle in a haystack. Yep. And this year specifically, I found myself for whatever reason, I try to always find the needle in the haystack. Mm -hmm. And, and I found that that's causing me to waste so much practice time. Do you think that's why some guys struggle right now, especially in the opens format that they're trying to find that when, like you said, it, oftentimes it doesn't exist. Hey, hey, I'd say so for sure. Um, you know, there's places where that works. Like I grew up on Tennessee river. There's almost every spot the fish get on or like, is like that, you know, but a lot of these places we're going to don't set up that way. And like the phrase needle and haystack, like what we're saying is like, you know, there's good areas, of the, good areas of the lake and they're good and popular for a reason. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times if there's, areas that are dead or notoriously there's not fish there is because there's not a big population of fish there and we all get stuck at looking for that needle and haystack at haystack in those bad areas um because we want to find something to ourselves that we can win on so bad a lot of times that's just not the case i mean you look at koya just won champlain and he was there right around everybody else you know he's in a popular area um he just had the niche and technique and presentation this week that caught him better than everybody else a lot of times that's how it is you know yep. you get in a good area that the tournament's one in but that particular person at one just had it just nailed down to a t that week um but yeah I, I just think getting in good areas has been a really good key for me this week and not leaving them right we have a really good question here from uh, Hunter Zahn that says, as an offshore drop shot guy, how do you approach a punching slash flipping lake like Okeechobee? Do you just go with the flow, or how would you approach that? If I was going to Okeechobee, um, I wouldn't be punching or flipping. <laughs> just not what I would be doing. Um, but if I, if I was going to, I would look for uh, hard grass lines, um, you know, leading around good areas. I mean, that's just – getting around good areas where there's fish, um, hard grass lines, um, cuts in the grass, isolated patches. Um, a lot of times if I do have to punch, I don't like to get in a huge map. 
I, I just don't like that. I like flipping isolated cover where, you know, the the mad may only be 10 foot by five foot, but four or five flips, you could cover most of that. I don't like getting in a football field long of a mat and trying to pick my way through that to pick up bites. So I would flip isolated cover or hard grass lines in productive areas. Yeah, you definitely seem more in the track mind of you're going to go offshore and drag a worm throw a trap. Kind yeah. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be flipping thick vegetation if I don't have to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You vibe more with like the the Harris chain kind of deal than a than an yeah ocean. yeah. I w- I'm I'm just trying not to be on the bank, <laughs> especially you know, and it might change you know if I fish a different tournament or something. But man, in the opens the past three years. Stuff on the bank just don't last. No matter what time of year it is, it just it does not hold up through five days of practice. I'm right there with you. Yeah. To ask Andy, I mean, I I don't like to be on the bank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm comfortable when I can't see can't see what's it's going like, on. Shoot, yeah. it's one o'clock in the afternoon. We got two fish. Let's go try to catch some real quick. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, for sure. it's the thing though that like obviously there's some experience with you know fishing shallow and there's definitely people that are way better at that uh, than others um but the thing that sticks with me all the time is is the guy i I love studying is brian thrift and one of the things he mentions is he goes you can always look visually and go fish shallow you can always do that anywhere but if you spend most of your like his practice time he goes i spend all my practice time offshore because that takes the time to go and do it's like a version of studying if you will where it's like i can also somewhat evaluate shallow while i'm graphing offshore i can see where the high percent stuff is so that's kind of how i go with it like i'm sure you're the same way like if you need to go shallow you can go shallow and you could probably break it down relatively fast yeah i mean there's times in practice where i do go to the bank but man i'm i'm not going i'm not spending much time on the bank um you know if i spend all my time offshore and don't find anything I'm not going to fish offshore in the tournament. I'm going to pick up, have a flipping stick and a top water and a square bill. And I'm just going to go burn in the bank, flipping mm-hmm. wood or flipping docks or riprap or whatever. Like I can do that in the tournament. Like you're saying, I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing that in practice because a lot of your bank fishing, it's not repeatable. You know, you can get a few bites in a pocket and go back in the pocket and not get a bite. So a lot of times the bank fishing, is junk fishing most of the time besides the spring, you know, so sort of, you know, get repetitive bites up shallow doing the same thing. Right. Well, do I mean, looking, I mean, obviously you got the, you know, your worst finish so far of the year is essentially the only smallmouth tournament going on, which I know it says you had 60th place, but you've done really well on the St. Lawrence river. So I don't think it's something you're kind of worried about future wise, but, like the last three tournaments, like how are you? What's your mindset going into the to those events? Survive. 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 <laughs> that's, that's, that that's, worm, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's the mindset is catch some fish every day this year. Um, <clears throat> what's bars up next? Mm-hmm. That's going to be one of the worst tournaments the opens have ever seen. Um, it's going to be kind of like a Red River deal, you know, where six, seven, eight pounds is going to get you by every day. Um, so have I'm, fun I'll, yeah i'm probably right. the same program um for watts bar and the ozarks you know offshore brush stumps uh live scoping suspended fish just trying to survive you know I, of course i'm going to try my best every day and hopefully a win hop, pops in my lap between here and then the season but man my goal is top 60 top 50 in the next three tournaments for sure now, do you have a lot of experience on Watts Bar since it's relatively close <laughs> to you, I, I would assume? Even through college? Yeah. Yeah, I've been on Watts Bar three days my entire life. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so we had a the first ever Major League Fishing Format college tournament there probably five, six years ago. Um, Tom Brubaker put that on through MLF, and it was really good me and my partner won with like 130 pounds um but it was the watts bar is really good then um but no i have very little experience there it's gonna be tough it's gonna be brutal it's gonna be hot like it's been 100 degrees every day here it's just not a place that 
I'm the one to pick to go fish <laughs> for sure. We got a lot of other better fisheries around to go there. So no, I have very little experience there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we watched, was it BPT last year? That was there. The last year. What was the MPFL? No, I think it was BP, BPT um, was there. Yeah. BP, um, Osman won off the dam and MPFL was there. Uh, Patrick Walters won that as well. Yeah. I think there may have been two tournaments there last year. Yeah, and all of them were like you were saying, they're brutal. Like, brutal. There's no other way to put that. Put it. There's just not a good population of fish there. Yeah, <laughs> all the fish. Seventy percent of Watts Bar fish all went over the dam and into Chicken yeah. That's what they, <laughs> they yeah. said. Screw this joint. We're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so surviving that, and you know, mentioned you mentioned Lake of the Ozarks. Um, surviving that. Why, why do you say that to, uh, for Lake of the Ozarks? Is that a timing deal? Is it? Um, I think it, you know, it depends on what kind of weather we're going to have. Like, if we have some cool weather, it, it could be a good tournament. I've never been there. Um, could be a good top water. Just pick a plopper or something up, go down the bank, have some fun. But, you know, it's just the time of year is just who knows what's going to happen. It could stay hot. It could get cold. Um, but I'm probably just the next two tournaments just going to try to survive offshore um, brush stumps, you know, like I said, live scope. Um, I feel like if I do that throughout practice in the tournament, uh, hopefully, hopefully I can at least survive. Um, I would love to go into Harris chain, just being able to catch a limit each day and, and make it through the top nine or 10. Um, but the Harris chain is going to be a slugfest. I do know that, um, you know, or going there in October, uh, a lot of people don't think of it this way, but it's like a basically a pre-spawn tournament. Fish are going to be fat. They're going to be staged up, ready to spawn. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to be a, a big weight tournament. Uh, yeah, probably a good tournament too. So, Yeah, and you, I imagine you got a lot of ex- time on Harris from college. Yeah, I've been there a lot. Um, never been there that late in the year. Always, We always go there and like – is it that late or is it that early? Because you know, technically, yeah, spring, yeah, they yeah, creep on spring. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, maybe I've been there late. I've never been there this early, like you're saying. <laughs> um, Interesting play on your your timelines, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I've been there. I spent a lot of time there. I love. I've had some good finishes there, but I've had some terrible finishes there. It's like if you find one little shell bed that has them you're going to have a good tournament. And if you don't, I can't seem to put it together, a good shallow bite there to survive. So it, it sounds like Florida. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly like Florida. You catch, you catch five, 12 inches or you catch five, five pounders or whatever that works, you know. And it's probably never the same. Every time you go, it's probably some different off the wall area. And it's like, what are you on? Type yeah, exactly. You know, the, the best tournament I had there is I found my be- I found a shell bed um, that had grass standing up on it about three or four inches. And I wish I could say I found that because I'm so skilled and I was looking for that. I found it because a bunch of seagulls started diving when I was putting the boat on the trailer. It hit right at dark one day. <laughs> I seen a bunch of seagulls diving and I rode over there and there was a shell bed loaded with fish. That's how I found the only place I found in four days of practice. So... You're like, thank you. I'll take that. Yeah. Here, here's your sign. Take it or run. Yeah. 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 Look out of comedy. Here's your sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, that place is random as you could you could scan the whole time and miss stuff by five foot. I just never know where to look or there's no rhyme or reason for it. They just sit on certain places that and then three weeks later there's a foot of grass there, you know, so it changes a lot. Yep. There, there's your uh, prime example of what I was saying earlier about sometimes I, I try too hard to try to find the needle in the haystack. I had a, so I'm in the kayak and I have a Hobie BOS term on Harris chain with only two days of practice, spent the whole time trying to graph in a freaking kayak thinking I was going to find something off the wall. Horrible decision. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, I mean, it's a place though that, like you said though, when you do find it, I mean, you can. Yeah, well, yeah. I hope so. That's the plan. Or you just get a sign from some seagulls at the very last. I'll year. definitely keep my eye out. I've had, <laughs> I've had seagulls save a tournament two times for me in the past. One was on Harris Chain, and the other was in like 2016 on Onada. 
back when it was probably Oneida. Guess Oneida. <laughs> yeah, back when uh, you know they may still do it, but back when Perch was dominant, dominant in Oneida, um, I literally just me and my granddad were driving down the lake, and seagulls were diving, and I stopped in the middle of nowhere, and big school of smallmouth right in a grass flat, no rhyme or reason, but. Yep, that sounds like the uh, the old Oneida before the Gobies said it. We'll we'll change that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. That lake has changed entirely. Yep. Uh, and I mean, it's several of our lakes. I mean, we, we've joked about it with a, a couple guys on here, like Mike Huff and stuff. He's like, "Hey, bring down a live well full of Gobies to to uh, Cherokee," so, so, it was, so it sparks up some of the smallmouth fisheries. But yeah, that's one that's that's changed for sure. It used to be super cool. Like it's a great fishery still not when there's 200 boats on it, but when uh, you go there, it's a lot of fun, but it was, it was definitely pretty cool back before the Gobies really made their impression on the lake when seagulls were diving. I mean, that's how a lot of guys won tournaments was just, there was no rhyme or reason. They would have central areas and they would just wait for the birds to dive. Yeah. I think giants. I think it was like 2006 or 2007, like Skeet, I think it was Skeet Reese was literally chasing seagulls out over like 38 to 40 foot of water on Oneida. And it's like, I didn't even know that lake was that deep, but he was literally (laughs) throwing like a tube, a suspended fish on his 2D and dropping on them and catching them in like big clouds for the tube. I'm like, those fish are dumb. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard from some local guys that they used to go out and screw with people that they would take like bread or bird seed and they'd go run and they'd drop it while they're running so that birds will flock down and distract the other guys and go running over there. Oh my gosh, yeah. it's awesome, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, got, got this big bag of seed on the back of a bass boat, he's running down, he's like, yeah. Watch this, cuts it as he's running 60 and just <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that lake had changed that much because I had an open there, a top 10 in 2016. I think we went back like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I had this great plan, binoculars in the boat, got there at daylight, waiting for the birds to dive, ride at dark, wait for the birds to dive, and rode around the whole time throwing a spook and a jerkbait. Didn't work like it did when I was there before. And it's like all the fish transitioned from eating perch fry and grass to sitting on rocks eating gobies. And there's not many rock piles to go around on that place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can have them, but you're going to share it with 30 boats yeah. in the open field. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. It's crazy just how two or three years, how one small bait fish uh, changed the entire fishery. Yeah. Uh, smallmouth realized, hey, these things are fat and dumb and they don't, you know, scream all over the place. They sit down here and don't move. Here's the deal, though. Like, I don't know if it was truly like two or three years. I bet they were in there a lot longer than we thought they were because, one, it's connected to the Erie Canal, right? Erie Canal is connected to the Great Lakes. So those gobies have had to been in there for 10 to 15 years, and the fish just finally got to a point through spawn classes to where they were programmed to eat down instead of up. And that's the only thing I can think of, plus a big die-off. That didn't help either. I think it makes sense though, because like it, it's there's obviously going to be a, an adjustment period for the fish, and then you also have to go down through like through generations. Like fish learn, obviously, you know, there's there's that basic yeah. knowledge that transitions down. Um, I mean, obviously, it's gonna, yeah, it's not going to be a couple year adjustment. I think you're right on with that, Andy. Like, yeah, they were, and I bet you there was fish on rock piles that whole time that people weren't even looking for. Or like a couple guys knew about it and were like, oh, we're not going to talk about this type yeah. deal. I mean, those fish, like like y'all are saying, they live 10, some of them 10, 15 years. And, you know, when that fish has been eating perch fry its whole life, it spawns. Every fish that hangs around it watches that fish eat perch fry. So, you know, it, like you said, it takes time for generational things to die off. And that's what we're seeing with all the fish now that, I mean, it changes every few years and other fish learn from us beating on them. Um, and they learn from other fish. The only thing they got to learn from. So generational deal is a, is a huge thing for all fisheries. Like I'm seeing it on Kentucky Lake and we got Asian carp here now change the forage, um, and places that fish used to love to get on 10 years ago. They don't get on now. So, I mean, you know, 
fish follow fish and as in generational fish you know when they die there's no other fish to take them to where those fish used to sit so you nailed that on the head something that a lot of people don't acknowledge or even think about right i mean that honestly i mean that's a whole show in itself talking about how like the 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 dna like lineage of fish because you can translate it to so many different things where it's like in our lifetime maybe we've never been you know afraid or have ever ever experienced certain things or but like just from you know dna and it passing down through through lineage like of being afraid of the dark or something along those lines you're naturally that's like built within you when you're born because it, it's passed down but that obviously that takes time but that's the same thing with fish like i think fish are getting to the point now like you were just mentioning like that they're born on a super pressured fishery that it's like they're almost born understanding that of, from a from a fishing pressure standpoint it's kind of interesting to see how these fisheries are changing with that like it almost makes you wonder then like are they going to start understanding from the moment they're born what uh what forward-facing sonar ping is like is that ever going to change like it's that's a super cool conversation um and one that one that we probably shouldn't go down that road right now because we might be here all night i mean another big talk about with smallmouth is maxent but it's been around for what eight seven eight years now and they still eat it like it hasn't changed. Good question, actually. Six years, but it's been around a while. Mm-hmm. I know I have been throwing it religiously for at least six years. So I'm looking it up. I feel like I should know that, but yeah, this is a pure fishing guy. Uh, Maxent apparently kicked off. Like it kicked off really when Justin Lucas won. Is what 2015 or 2016? 2020. Really, it's only been three years. At least when it boomed, because I remember it booming from Justin Luke's win on Erie out of Sandusky. I think that's when it really took off. Yeah, well, the year before was when Bertrand and Lucas went 1-2 at the St. Lawrence, and they were both running Maxent. And the year before that, I think, was when KVD won, and a couple other guys were running Maxent already, but people didn't really know about it yet. Right. Didn't KVD win that? On a spy bait. Yes. Talk about smallmouth feeding up and like the post spawn. Something that a lot of people don't appreciate still, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Back when hair jigs and spy baits were winning derbs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that, that tournament itself was impressive because I think he had like 96 or 97 pounds on a spy bait, if I remember. Like he dropped a mega bag on a spy bait and it's like, whew. That's terrifying. <laughs> One little treble hook in that big bass. No, no thanks. <laughs> I don't know if there's, and, and John, you, I'm sure you've got some stories, but I don't know if there's a person that more than Kevin Van Dam that's not afraid of treble hooks. The way he just grabs fish with three treble hooks on a jerk bait, like he doesn't care. He's like, ah, what's another treble hook in the hand? Done this yeah. 300,000 times. <laughs> like, I've never, the way he grabs fish, it's just like, it has me like, Puckered oh. almost a little bit, but my favorite was the one that he was like the 10XD at Toledo Bend when he was on the elites and yeah, he like won that event. And he, and he like grabbed me and he's like, Yep, that's in my hand. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that's a big hook, man. Oof, that hurts. Have you had have you had a moment, John, when you're like literally in a derb when you either hooked your hand or had like a oh man, I'm screwed moment? Like, has anything that's even remotely question. close like that happened? Fortunately, not. <laughs> not well, for your sake, I'm going to knock on as much wood I yeah. have. Right here. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not been a time where I've had something happen to me. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good during a tournament. And I've had that stuff happen all the time, practicing or fun fishing, you know. But um, fortunately, not in a tournament. So yeah, I've only had one super scary moment uh, for like. When it's when it happens, I'm not. It doesn't hurt, and it's like not a big deal, like getting hooked in the hand. But whatever reason, the the idea of the hook going into my finger is like, at, like it just you know, like the heebie-jeebies. It kind of like skews you out a little bit. I don't know. I have like that weird fear of that. But I hooked smallmouth with treble hooks. This was like three years ago. Netted it, went to go in and grab it, and had the hook through its mouth and then hooked into my finger. So there was no way to get it 
and my pliers were back behind me, so I couldn't even reach him. So I had to like wait until another angler like could flag down to go get the pliers to break the hook and then get my hand off. But that that was yeah yeah. When you're in that situation, you look around. There's nobody. You're like, damn, <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> <sighs> no plan. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> oh man, but uh, so beyond baits, beyond adjustments, um, what do you think some of your biggest strengths are for this year with the opens? What do you think you have on your side that puts gives you an edge? You know, this year has just kind of <clears> – <throat> the schedule, honestly, has lined up to where I could fish offshore and do well offshore. Now, there's there's tournaments throughout the year. Normally, you know, we usually go to a river system or a place that's blowed out chocolate milk where you cannot fish offshore. Um, but I believe – even the next three, then I'm going to be able to fish every tournament offshore this year. And uh, I've just been able to find something offshore that I can make work through the tournament. Um, you know, we got a lot, we got a long practice, four and a half days of practice. Um, just sticking my nose down and staying offshore pretty much the entire time, looking for something I can do good off of. Um, that's been the only thing really this, this schedule has lined up for me. Well, um, you know, I'm, not necessarily a fan of potentially fishing a all sight fishing tournament or sight fishing uh, league in the elites if I ever make it because it seems like half the tournaments they fish is a sight fishing tournament. Um, <laughs> but right now the open schedule really lined up good for me this year. I didn't really know that um, going into it, um, but you know things have worked out where I could catch them offshore. You know even at Bugs Island in Virginia, uh, while we were there. We were there during a full moon and fish were going on beds in like five or six foot of water on stumps. And then the water came up five foot and those fish stayed on bed. So I was even able to, to catch them offshore while they were spawning when it was supposed to be a bank fishing tournament going into it. So it just things have lined up super well for me this year. So just, yeah, playing into your confidence that way each tournament, it's you're not making an adjustment. You're not out of your comfort zone. You're targeting them how you want to. Makes yep. sense. For sure, um, I just lost my train of thought. Mm, hate it when that happens. I know it's I like, had a question right about that actually, and it, now it's it's running away from me. This is why I write stuff down because within like two or three minutes, it's completely gone. Yeah, but, yeah, understand that. We're getting old. <laughs> yeah, don't don't remind me. Uh, what would you say though? Like, you know, obviously the goal is to make the elite series, um, but even like just looking at opens or as as a, uh, an angler in general from a, a talent standpoint what skills are you working on like what weaknesses do you recognize in your game that you're either trying to improve on or have acknowledged that you need to improve on me just the you know it's been a battle i've i've dealt with my entire career is when to trust my gut you know it you know i i have a problem all the time where like i'm so stuck at fishing offshore when it's not working, my gut tells me, go throw a square build on that rip route or go flip that lay down. And it's been until the past couple of years until I started listening to that gut feeling. And this year more than ever is that I've kind of just been, if there's ever a thought in my head, I'm probably not doing the right thing. You know, because it seems like when you're doing the right thing, you got all the confidence in the world whether you're catching fish good or not, but when you feel like you got something you're doing right, you don't question it. So my thing is like, if you're doing something and your gut says you might do need to do something else, you should probably always do it. And uh, that's just the way I've seen things work. And sometimes you, you may trust your gut all day and it may not work out, but there's so many times this year and last year where I'm, doing something and I'll have a little bug in my head, dude, go, go try that real quick. What you're doing is not working and it may pay off. Um, mm -hmm. So trust in your gut. And it just comes with time on the water. I feel like spend as much time on the water as you can, just getting in tune with it, I would say. And a lot of times your gut's not right, but if you're doing something, your gut says do, do something else, you're not doing what you need to be doing more than likely. Right taking the time to 
at least go experiment, try something. Like, I mean, worst case scenario, you're wasting 15, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reason you made that decision anyway is because you weren't getting bit. So the whole opportunity yeah. cost. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm really, you know, something that I would like to work on more is, you know, just being able to like, kind of goes back to it is just drop what I'm doing and be able to read shallow, more shallow stuff. Like I, I spent so much of my early days fishing around the house shallow and I used to just be so in tune with a flipping stick in my hand and I'm still comfortable doing that. Um, but something that I've got away from, and I'm not saying the sport has gone away from that. Um, it kind of has, but it's like I, every tournament, um, I know that you could survive probably with a flipping stick in your hand too. Um, and that's something that I've kind of got away from. And um, I battle my gut telling me to go try it a little bit. And I, you know, I, I need to do it more. I really do, but I just haven't. Right. Do you As think- a smallmouth fisherman, I will tell you, it is good for the soul to throw a flipping stick every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> do, do you think there's a lot of guys – anglers that are struggling because they're doing what you should be doing on that body of water and not doing what they're comfortable doing. Oh, absolutely. You know, you fall in Alabama, it's notorious for swimming a jig and grass. Um, Toledo Bend, you know, it's a, it's a big grass fishing lake, lost hyper street fishing, Uh, Bugs Island, flip bushes, you know, and there's, so many places that we've been to this year that you're supposed to be able to do one thing. And I just haven't listened to that. I've stuck to my strengths because no matter what, where you go to, if you're good at doing one thing, most of the time you can make it work on a body of water, you know, and like I was talking about a flipping stick. There's not, there's not many places out there right now where you can't go catch a good limit with a flipping stick. And same way with fishing offshore. So fishing the way that you like to fish and the way that you're good at fishing is something that I'm learning to do. Like I'm, I'm good at fishing offshore. I'm going to spend most of my time doing that. Um, most bodies of water, whether it's known for it or not, you could fish the way you want to fish. Right. And a lot of times get away from most of everybody else. Cause most everybody else is going to do what you're supposed to do there. Right. Sorry. Are you taking, any time in practice to go and do quote unquote, what should be going on then? Or are you taking that time to just be looking at your screens and covering water? A lot of times both. Um, I don't spend a lot of time like going to a place. I went to the St. Lawrence river. I wasted way too much time drifting. Drifting is a huge deal there. I absolutely hate it. I didn't want to make a long run and I wanted to stay close and play it safe. I drifted for probably two full days, didn't get on nothing, didn't feel comfortable. Other people were catching them drifting. I couldn't make it happen. It's just something I'm not good at. And literally the moment I quit drifting and started doing my own thing, I started catching fish again. Hmm. So I do try what you're supposed to do. I just feel like that you almost have to a little bit because you're at a place you're supposed to do what's right or what's supposed to work there. But very rarely, very rarely works for me. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. We got a question here from Michael Bradley saying, are, the, are there any bodies of water on your bucket list to fun fish or any other species to fish for? You know, I, I would really like to fish Cayuga. I want to go catch some largemouth, some grass. I've never, never been up north and had just an awesome northern largemouth offshore grass bite. I think that would be really cool. Um, now, you know, even Oavi wouldn't mind going out there and trying to catch a 10 to 14 pounder. Um, but no, I, I would say bucket list. I want to go up north and have a really good largemouth fishing trip, you know, whether I'm throwing a frog or fishing offshore in grass. Um, the species, I'm good at catching bass, <laughs> honestly. <I'm> a- <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I really, if I had to pick some other species, I wouldn't mind trout fishing. Um, getting in a stream in Wyoming or something and wading around in a little, little stream catching trout. I think that might be pretty cool, different scenery, but yeah, that's probably it. 
usually when that question comes up, everyone always goes to salt, and that is the first time I've heard anybody say going to streams for trout. Would you do fly fishing? Or yeah, would you- I would try fly fishing, something totally different. Um, you know, salt water, I've been a few times. I love it. So easy. Like, I feel like there's you can't go anywhere offshore in the ocean and not catch fish. Um, I, I feel, I mean, that's cool. I like doing it. Um, but I've never been trout fishing. I think that'd be something different to try. Yeah. So I'll, I'll add on to that question and ask what, uh, what do you think is the best Bassmaster opens menu? I would say a Heron Lake, um, a, a Heron Lake, um, or a smallmouth fishery, like one of the great lakes you're looking St. Clair, you know, St. Lawrence river. They're great. Um, but honestly, like Murray, um, Hartwell, I've been to multiple times. I love tournaments on Hartwell. Um, great venue, great boat ramp. Um, man, the place fish is huge. There's fish, all those Heron lakes, there's fish from one end of the river all the way to the dam. They spread out fish are everywhere. Um, Tennessee River Lakes are fine. They spread out good, but man, a lot of fish live in the same places. Um, but I like going to a place like the St. Lawrence or a, or a, uh, or I like going to a Great Lake or a Heron Lake just because it spreads everybody out so well. Yeah, that makes sense. Was the was the St. Lawrence event pretty spread out? Like it wasn't too cluttered. Yeah, it was really spread out. There was guys that you know, a lot of guys fish between Messina and Ogdensburg and there's a lot of guys around the Alex Bay area and there's a lot of guys up towards the cutoff. Honestly, the up towards the cutoff was the most crowded. Um, I didn't do that in the tournament. Um, but man, it, that was probably the most crowded area. It was the furthest place away, but like just my little transport back and forth to where I was fishing, I was fishing around, um, Chippewa. I seen boats dotted everywhere. Like it just spread out sporadically through the river. You know, you might get a little section, you might see five or six boats, but it spread out very well. I didn't really have any places that I went to pull up on and there would be a boat there, which has not happened all year. That's cool. Yep. Heck yeah. Andy, you got anything else for down here? Um, this was fun. And I'll leave it at that. It was a fun episode. And I want to say, John, I wish you the best of luck through the last couple of events here in safe travels and uh, go catch them up doing the, fishing the way you like to fish and just trust your gut and go catch them. Yeah, I appreciate it, Andy and Bailey. Uh, hopefully we can get on at the end of the open season. Hopefully after I get a top 10 in the open point standings and uh, yeah. we'll do this again. So, Thank you, man. I'm going to let you go with one last fun question. All right. Sure. Being that Andy got to have you twice before – I got to have you on the show. Uh, in a, say, if you were told tomorrow you're never allowed to fish again, what career path, if you could choose anything, what would you choose? I would be a I, – I mean, I'd do it right now, um, a waterfowl guide um, in the winter. Oh. Yeah. And I would find something else to do in the summer. I don't know what it would be. Uh, pressure washing houses or some some kind of you know some something like that or selling boats i don't know um but definitely primary a waterfowl guide for sure i enjoy duck hunting i do that a little bit now um i enjoy it as much or not more than i do fishing so something not in an office i will say that andy i know we've talked about this before but i would still love to do a correlation of guys that are consistently successful in professional bass fishing that also are avid hunters outside of bass fishing. Cause I mean, there's so many of them, dude. Like you look at like an Andy Morgan, Matt Airy, like guys that dedicate so much time when they're not bass. fishing. They're all hunters. Like it seems like every one of them hunts. So for the most part, not, I won't say all of them. They're, they're, I would, I would say like 89% of them probably hunt. I know it's a weird number, but really it's just for, it's for me is that I hate being inside mm-hmm. and I want to do something in the outdoors, you know, and that, if I'm not fishing, I'm, um, if I'm not hunting something, I'm at least out looking at deer or ducks or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, I just like being 
not indoors. That's my deal. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, there's so many good examples like Burge. Like, I think actually, I, I'm going to, if I ever get free time, I'm going to go scroll through this. I might even actually interview some guys and start putting together like a little sheet. Cause I think, Andy, you'd actually be surprised how many guys don't hunt that are professional English or how many actually hunt and they don't talk about how they hunt. Because that's a lot of people too in the world. Well, there's hunting and then there's actually like hunting. There's going and sitting out there. Then there's actually guys that go full bore, but that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, but either way, John, man, it was good to get you on here. Uh, I'm glad I could finally sit in on one of these things and uh, pepper you with some questions. Always good to learn from you. And uh, man, give them hell. We'll be watching you. And uh, regardless yeah. of the outcome, which we hope is the best, we'll, uh, we'll plan another show after the season. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate y'all having me on. All right, man. See you later. See you. Dude, uh, Andy, looking at the open standings, we have uh, JT Tompkins is leading it, another X2 guy. Uh, it's going to be an interesting race coming down to it here at the end of things. Yeah, it's exciting. It's because uh, it's, let me see, Kenta. Kenta's in second. I don't know if I know an open season without Kenta in the top 10. <laughs> uh, That's a good point. He, he's got to be one of the best opens anglers of all time, uh, just from a statistic standpoint. I don't know. I wonder if like a Rowdy Moore or somebody has the data on that. But uh, we obviously got, we got JT Tompkins, who we're going to be getting on the show here relatively soon, hopefully before the Watts Bar event. He's another X2 power guy. Um, but you got Trey McKinney, who's young as hell. Uh, our boy, Mr. Keith Tuma, sitting in sixth right now. Um, Joey Nania, that he's his name, he's been in multiple classics. He's going back to a classic now. Uh, things are actually pretty tight going into the last three events. You got Milliken in 14th. Uh, we got our, our local hammer, Cal Patrick. Actually, can we call him local? Is he? I don't know if he's back in New York or not. I thought, I don't know if he's well, back in New York. He, like, floats back and forth. He's been in New York basically all summer. Yeah, he's been wreaking havoc on some local derbs. I've been keeping yeah. on. But I, I, I thought he lived in Virginia. But either way, our local boy, Cal Patrick, sitting in 18th. He, who, I mean, he's only 50 points out of 10th. Because as long as Kenta stays in the top 10, yeah. uh, I mean, it's they're going to take whoever's in the top 10 because it'll obviously nine places. Um, Josh Bragg right behind him, 19th. Bragg's Bragg will be a tough one not to get there. He's he knows those fisheries they're going to. So, like, if there's somebody on the outside looking in, I think Bragg is one of the ones that, that I could see making it. Ooh. Sam George is a very good fisherman too. Been like, like the, he just like John, been there, yeah. right there. Bobby Lane Jr. sitting at 21. Mm-hmm. Harris chain, you know, he's going to cause trouble there. Like, yeah, I think he's another guy that's trying to like John saying survive till the, till the Harris chain and then go maybe make a classic at the Harris. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's going to be a good race. I mean, right now, I'm even looking at this lineup. It's going to be some freaking hammers going into the elite series next year, but fun show with, with John. I mean, it's definitely not gonna be the last time. We're definitely going to be getting them on here, hopefully, before the new year, uh, once the season's over, to do a little recap. Uh, always good to learn from him. Uh, he's going to be a name that is going to be around for a heck of a long time. Yeah. Um, and Tuma time. Tuma time. we got to have our host back on. <laughs> We've been slacking with Tuma time. I know. When we do episode 400, we'll have to get him on. Tuma night live on Tuesdays. <laughs> Tuma after dark. <laughs> all right well uh this coming weekend is gonna be fun uh we'll have some cool content coming out for you guys next week hopefully uh socials will be active um we'll have uh some days to uh, pad up some more videos for the be the fish channel my personal channel that uh i'm like literally have like 17 videos i need to edit for i'm way behind i have like four i just have good time oh Editing is a grind. It is indeed. But uh, this Friday, uh, we'll have a fun episode for you guys. We'll have Mr. Noah Schultz back on the show. Uh, Mr. Noah Schultz. Hammer. Hammer. 
Uh, so that's going to be heck of a lot of fun. Did he win another boat this year, or have we not? Uh, he won. I, I don't know if it was a boat, but he won another classic bass or the classic tour champions tour. Good grief, he did win another one. That he did. He's the bat. I mean, Tim Price, uh, our friend over at uh, Johnson Outdoors, said he's the best in Minnesota, and I trust Tim's word on that. Um, but yeah, so next year, uh, next week, we will not have. Tuesday Night Live. Just remember that for you guys. We'll have Business from the Bass Boat, of course, on Monday. Uh, great episode actually yesterday uh, with uh, Deacon Hat on the folks from Sponsorless. Uh, if you guys don't know much about that, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, but we'll have a Tuesday show. It just will not be live. So it'll be up Tuesday morning for you guys. And then we're going to have Trevor Lowe over at Omnia Fishing joining us for next Friday's show. So nice little stacked lineup. Um, I'll be traveling here a little bit. Uh, we'll have some, uh, maybe do some in-person stuff, uh, live show wise when I get to States here in a few weeks. Uh, but regardless, a lot of Where's fun States tonight. Where's this year for you? For oh, fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's one of the best lakes in the state, honestly. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's an interesting time. And the, uh, Extended forecast shows our first fall, summer to fall transition following, of course, on tournament days. So just like every year, but uh, it, how it goes. yeah, makes for interesting fishing regardless. But Andy, I think that's going to do it for tonight. Folks, appreciate y'all as always. And we'll see you on Friday. <laughs>